This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth managers who go above and beyond to guide and support you. CanDo is more than just an attitude. It's navigating today for a brighter tomorrow. Visit CanDoWealth.com. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Cindy Yu and I'm joined by Katie Bors and Paul Goodman, editor of Conservative Home. So in the last few minutes, Suella Braverman's resignation letter has finally dropped after she was sacked from the government yesterday. It's quite a long letter, so I would recommend listeners go and read it themselves. But it includes punchy sentences such as you, referring to Rishi Sunak, saying you have manifestly and repeatedly failed to deliver on every single one of these key policies. It also says that Suella Braverman has become hoarse, urging you to consider legislation to ban the hate marches and help stem the rising tide of racism. Some one needs to be honest your plan is not working katie reactions yeah i wouldn't say it's the mildest of resignation letters i think some people said yes that therese coffee's resignation letter was a little bit sassy when she was talking about the number of prime ministers she had served under but i think compared to this hers is positively charming sunak fan club levels it's been quite clear that from the moment that Cyrilla Bravin was sacked, and probably before she was sacked, that Cyrilla Bravin was not going to go quietly. Those around her would suggest that they that she knew where the bodies were buried, having worked for Sunak from an early stage. Said, you know, she wants to shape conservative policy, but were she to be let go of, she would have plenty to say and would not, you know, sit and just take it. When she was sacked on Monday, what quickly happened was the appointment of David Cameron, I think, overshadowed that. A lot of the paper coverage today has been much more about the return of a former prime minister than Suella Bravman. And speaking to those who are supportive of Suella Bravman, they would say, well, I think maybe number 10 perhaps won the day in terms of press coverage, but they didn't think they were going to win on a longer scale because Suella Bravman still had her moment to speak. And she said quite quickly, you know, I will say more in due course. I suspect, by the way, there is more to come than this in terms of uh, what the former Home Secretary plans to do. But even on this letter alone, I think there's plenty to get into. So it begins quite nicely. It's been a privilege to serve as Home Secretary and deliver on what the British people have sent us in Westminster to do. She wanted to thank all the civil servants, police, border force officers and security professionals with whom she has worked with. She also does have a moment, she says she's proud of some of the things she's achieved together with Rishi Sunak. But then you get to about par three and it starts to go the other way. And that is when uh, Suella Braffman says that she accepted the role as Home Secretary on certain conditions. And despite you having been rejected by a majority of party members during the summer leadership contest, and thus having no personal mandate to be Prime Minister, I agreed to support you because of the firm assurance you gave me on key policy priorities. Now, clearly at the time, Sarah Brubman didn't mind that Rishi didn't have a mandate. But now you're starting to see as they're clearly moving from, I think, you know, friends to enemies I don't really think they're in frenemies at this point that is becoming more of an issue and then she brings up reducing legal migration delivering the Northern Ireland Protocol and retained EU law bills and also on small boats and also when it comes to um, gender identity and biological sex so those are the areas she cites as key and her suggestion is that despite uh, she her sending multiple letters trying to have these conversations Rishi Sunak's team have been disengaged they've not been willing to speak to her in lots of these areas and therefore he's neglected them now eventually 
when she goes to the fact that she thinks he has let down voters on this. Eventually, at the end of the letter, she said, someone needs to be honest. Your plan is not working. We've endured record election defeats. Your resets have failed and we are running out of time. You need to change course urgently. This isn't a direct uh, leadership challenge. It's not too far off one, I would, I would argue, in the sense that Sir Brahma is ultimately using this resignation letter to say that Rishi Sunak has been dishonest about his priorities, that he needs to junk a lot of his agenda and listen to various things she has said on small boats and more. And she's also teeing up another part of letters about the Supreme Court judgment on Wednesday. So it's inflammatory and it's, I think you look at it in the wider context, some of the backlash to the reshuffle that we discussed on Monday, it is setting the right of the party up for a fight with Rishi Sunak and the centre of the party. And the question is, does she have the following to make it something which is more than, you know, a week or two of news? Paul, what's your reaction to this? And in particular, as Katie says, it seemed like the aftermath from yesterday's reshuffle wasn't as turbulent, but could this reignite a civil war? Well, first of all, I'm looking at it a bit subspecie eternitatis. Um, when you saw that picture on Remembrance Sunday of eight former prime ministers, five of them since 2015... It was a reflection of the appalling turmoil change in fighting factionalism and division within the Conservative Party over recent years. So you have to look at this letter as part of a chapter in that story. And I think that's the way most voters, insofar as this registers at all, will see it. But turning to the letter itself, basically, Sir Brahman is saying, Sunak, you're hopeless. You should have done this my way, and my way is better. Now, first of all, we'll see tomorrow, but if Sunak wins in the Supreme Court, Mm. where does that leave her? Because she said, I had some better way of doing it. If he wins in the court, it will suggest that his way was correct. The next point is that he fired her. So up until that point, they were able to reach an accommodation, for example, over matters like the notwithstanding clauses that Katie read out in the letter. They succeeded in doing a deal. They succeeded in getting the Conservative Party into one place. So the kind of question for Sula Bravman really is, maybe she's right. Maybe her strategy, which would presumably have included a commitment to leave the ECHR, which really you need a general election mandate for, maybe she's correct. But if she really thinks Sunak is this useless loser and was messing everything up from top to bottom, why didn't she resign? Mm. How is it possible to carry on a, a coherent government with someone you don't trust? And this takes us back to the origin of the whole sad story of um, Sunak and Braverman. Back in 2003, when I was working with David Davis, I remember talking to David Davis before he went in to see Michael Howard when Michael Howard was doing his leadership bid. David came out afterwards and he said, Michael's very smart. He said, he didn't offer me any kind of deal. He just said, I'm going to stand. The problem with this relationship is that it was all based on a deal Mm -hmm. that neither of them really wanted. Rishi Sunak felt he needed Suella Braverman's support to become Conservative leader, but he didn't rate her. She was willing to vote for him But she wanted to run her own policy. She wants to be the leader. And as Katie quite rightly said, she believes passionately in what she's saying. So this was always a relationship that was going to be difficult at the best of times and troubled at the worst. I think 
it's fair to say that the average Conservative MP, not Braverman's fans, not her critics, would take some sort of middle position. I think they'd say, no, we don't want tent cities, but we don't believe that homeless people are the same thing as rough sleepers, and we don't believe they're automatically responsible for their own misfortune. Yes, there are a lot of hateful people on these marches, but can you describe all the 300,000 who turned out as being um, as being hateful? Yes, multiculturalism is a problem if you explain your terms. If you explain it, it doesn't mean the multiracial society, which most people now accept. And so I'm not really sure she has a strong basis of support on the backbenches that would allow her to become leader. But if the government fails in front of the Supreme Court, or it succeeds and the European Court then slaps down some sort of interim order and the government hesitates, she will have a chance to come back and make life much more difficult for Rishi Sunak. And this reshuffle with David Cameron and all these Sunakite people coming together, they're about to experience their first real test. Mm. And Katie, earlier today, um, another wing, or maybe it's not a separate wing of the Conservative Party, but the new Conservatives under Miriam Cates and Danny Kruger also came out and basically criticised the reshuffle. But it was interesting that they didn't name Suella Braverman. So... I guess <laughs> my question to you is, are there splits within the Tory right as well? Are there these rising stars who don't want to f- go under Suella Braverman's flag, but also want to criticise Rishi Sunak's tack towards cent- the centre? I think that the new Conservatives and Suella Braverman overlap. Um, now, there is a question as to who is the torchbearer of the right. And I think that is one for debate. There are some who do see Suella Braverman as that. Or even there are some I've spoken to who think she isn't it, but she's done an amazing job at making a lot of people think she is. And therefore, she has won the title that way. There are lots who see Miriam Cates, who's actually very supportive of Suella Braverman as a potential future darling of the Tory right, perhaps one now, but has further to go. And I don't think it's any coincidence that since Suella Braverman got in some difficulty last week, Miriam Cates from the 2019 MPs central the new conservatives has been out there publicly praising Suella Bravman has been one of the figures who was willing to go out to bat for her I spoke to her for a profile I did of Suella Bravman but she was on the radio you know saying you know this is someone who is saying what a lot of people in the country think and she should have support from the prime minister so I don't think the new conservatives are necessarily saying we want Suella Bravman to be the next leader, but they're certainly, I think, much more in the Suella Bravman camp right now than they are in the Rishi Sunak, David Cameron, Nuda Cabinet camp. And the politics, I think, of Miriam Cates and Danny Kruger, some of those leading figures in that group, which does represent lots of 2019 Redwall MPs, but I wouldn't say it represents all of them. <laughs> I think there is a concern, which is something that Suella Braverman could potentially have some success with, which is a concern which is not to do... I mean, the letter today could could stoke some of this, but the concern happened before Suella Braverman said anything. Some MPs yesterday looked at that reshuffle and they took the appointment of David Cameron along with the departure of Suella Braverman to mean a policy shift and a shift in terms of electoral focus from Red Wall and the 2019 messaging and some of the vote leave Brexit messaging to a return to the more the Cameroon years, a more traditional form of conservatism and the blue wall. And that has made MPs on the right and Red Wall MPs nervous. And the question I think is whether that is something Suella Bravman, who has a lot written about her, but we don't 
the exact scale or size of her following is that something that she can grow so she is seen as a leader of it we're not there yet but that's the opportunity for her now Paul speaking of David Cameron in the news foreign secretary's first full day in the job he has sanctioned a few leaders of Hamas um, which is something that James Cleverly had not done previously do you think that we're going to be seeing quite an active foreign secretary and what do you think about his uh, reappointment in general we don't know if that action in relation to Hamas was in the pipeline or not, so it's very difficult to say. Um, Certainly, David Cameron will carry a lot of weight. He'll carry a lot of weight in the Foreign Office because he's a former Prime Minister and will be seen to have a lot of autonomy. Foreign Secretaries haven't always had that recently. And, you know, he's well known abroad to some Mm. of the players. Now, of course, they all remember him as the man who lost the EU referendum, but they do know him, and he was a head of... Uh, headed up his government for a, for a long time. So, you know, he's going to be a sort of pretty big foreign affairs player. I'm intrigued by a different question about David Cameron, mm-hmm. which is this. OK, so he's going to be busy with the Middle East. He's going to be busy with Ukraine. He's going to be busy dealing with Biden and who knows, possibly Joe Trump. He's got to reestablish his relationship with European leaders. He'll be in a plane or a hotel a lot of the time. But here's the thing. Really... You have to look very hard at the government to decide what its political strategy is. You know, doesn't really, to be honest, seem to be much of one. Um, The party conference didn't succeed in establishing one. Downing Street is stuffed full of sort of former Cameron personnel and spans, not least Oliver Downing, Deputy Prime Minister, who was David Cameron's Deputy Chief of Staff. So the question I'm asking is, is Cameron going to be dragged more into the domestic sphere? If they're in a difficult political position, do they go to him for advice? Mm. Does he find himself dragged more and more into the Conservative election campaign as the months go on? Then think on. If he is, does his great friend and former right-hand person, George Osborne, suddenly start offering informal advice from um, uh, behind the scenes? What impact does all that have on the Tory right, who, as Katie rightly said, uh, are very unhappy about this shuffle. This goes wider than the new Conservatives, who are actually quite small. There's this kind of broad sense that in the last few years, the Conservatives have stood for sort of Brexit and challenging the status quo. And lo and behold, what's happened? The status quo has come back in the form of David Cameron, and it's as though the world they've built up is disappearing and it's coming down brick by brick. Just feel like deja vu. Paul and Katie, thank you very much. And thank you for listening. Do rate and review us if you like this podcast. Mm-hmm.